Holden Commodore and Ford Falcon prices are out of control. But you'd be a fool to buy a used one at nearly $100,000, or would you? Yes, it's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode 204, Falcon and Commodore Used Price Madness. Um, I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and joining me in unpacking these insane Aussie used car values, our key contributor and author of the story we're focusing on, Steve, and our special guest, Aussie motorsport broadcasting legend, journalist, and the man behind the Rusty's Garage podcast, Greg Rust. James, Stephen, g'day. We'll also look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, if you want to plot your own adventure, you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below, and you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's start with a quick update on what you're up to, Rusty. Um, you're speaking to us from Aotearoa. Um, you, you, you're living in New Zealand at the moment. What are you up to? Are you going to be over in Australia for, for Bathurst in December? Other things? What's going on? James, g'day. Um, I, my wife is a K1W1, so we've had a place over here <laughs> since, uh, since 2017, uh, 2015, in fact, actually. We moved in um, Christmas 2017. Um, so two teenage daughters. Uh, we flipped life on its head. We were living in Sydney. Uh, for many years before that, I'm a Sydney boy born and bred. The Aussie side of me, and talking about Aussie cars today, that'll never um, that'll never go. Uh, they're as popular over here, uh, Commodore and things like that, as they are um, in Oz. So, yeah, we've had a, a, a sea change, tree change, whatever you want to call it, a couple of um, acres. And a, yeah, and a few, a few uh, animals and things. I'm a terrible farmer. James, but um, oh wow, great! So that's part of the picture as well, yeah. A, a little bit, yeah. So two acres and some sheep and a few other bits and bobs, but not nothing. Uh, Fantastic, but, but very, very different to Sydney. And um, when there is no COVID, I come and go. I spent four months um, in Oz at the beginning of the year, traveling all over the place, doing different things. A little bit more challenging at the moment, but the goal is to get back in time for Bathurst. Yes, brilliant. Brilliant. What about uh, what about goats? Do you have goats on the farm? I'm a huge goat fan. We we, we have tried different things. So we had some goats to begin with, uh, very good, ah. but they're but they're incredible escape artists. So, Are they really? Uh, yes, yes. So that's that was a little bit of a challenge. And uh, we had some beautiful alpacas for a yep. while, but oh, you, wow. uh, you you've got to really look after them. That they, they can be susceptible to a, a few things. Okay. Um. But, uh, but a, a beautiful creature. We didn't feel like they were right for us with me coming and going with work and, and things like that. So we've got a yep. nice balance now, five uh, five crazy sheep, two dogs and and uh, a, a ute for running around. And That is uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That is fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for that. Let's, let's move on to this soaring market for Aussie metal. And Steve, you authored a story through the week. And it was mm. talking about Falcon and Commodore as well as the specialist, you know, performance derivatives thereof. And the, the fundamental question, and you raised the point, that people, uh, when uh, Ford and Holden stopped manufacturing locally, and of course Holden pulled out altogether, there were people that looking at these cars with the intention of using them as an investment. Yeah. And the question is, how has that worked out for them? Um, and do you think you've been able to answer that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yes and no. I think it's 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 an investment. So there's certainly uh, still there's still a lot to play out. You know, we're still I think we're probably only part way through the journey. But uh, yeah, like you say, I mean, I think 
uh, a lot of people were aware of it at the time. You know, I know mm. personally mm. having discussions with people back in sort of 16, 17 about, oh, you know, what's, you know, oh, what's, what's the best one I should buy for, for the future? And it's like, you know, my, my attitude back then was, why buy the one you want to drive? Like, I mean, that's, that's my attitude towards cars in general, I think is, yes. you know, drive them. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly now the market, particularly for, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really focused on cars like the last, you know, VF Series 2 SSV, yes. SSV Redline, you know. It's, so, you can, st- you know, there's still reasonable prices for, say, a, a Series 1 VF, but mm. it's, the, it's those later cars that have, I guess, a bit more historical significance that have, that have yep. you know, blown up into like high five figures, high six, you know, low six So part, part of it is people wanting the last of the last. I think you made the, the really great point that it's like an artist who's no longer with us. That mm. You're not going to get any more paintings or whatever it might be out of that person. So yeah. there's a limited pool. Same with these cars. And somehow it's the, the two sides of the same thing. The car that you want to drive is the one that becomes desirable from an investment point of view. And the, the irony is you probably don't then drive it because of its value. It becomes this uh, hard to juggle equation. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I, you know, I read another piece recently about, uh, you know, personally, you know, I, I don't like the idea of collecting cars and sticking them in garages because I did, I was lucky enough to do the launch of the HSV GTSR W1. At yes. Phillip Island. Yeah. And I remember talking to their lead engineer at HSV at the time because, you know, they'd got, they had, you know, you know, with respect to, to what Ford did, you know, the last FPVs were, you know, probably not as great as they could have been. They didn't have um, an entire Corvette rear end under them. No, they didn't. You know, they, yeah, they changed, you know, they went to all the trouble, of, you know, putting the LS9 in. They, you know, they put in the super shocks. They, you know, they changed tyres. They did everything to make it a the greatest HSV to drive ever. Mm. A- and people put them in garages, you know, mm. and, and, and the engineer at the time was like, you know, said to me, it's just good to see them being driven like this That's because good. he knew he could see then what was going to happen, you know. And, and Rusty, what's the, what's the profile or visibility of, of those smaller volume HSVs and, and FPVs and things in, in New Zealand? Do they catch your eye occasionally? Uh, they do. And as Stephen's just sort of talked about, very much cherished as well. So right. um, there's been a couple of uh, special ones uh, towards the, the end of the, of the family there, if you like, that have made their way um, into New Zealand with, with special numbers and people have those uh, garaged okay. up not running okay. arcades on them. So they are, they are treated. Um, I mean, you, Stephen, talked about, you know, just getting out, driving them and, and enjoying them, but, but people have a, a real affinity and attachment to them over here. They, you know, they love Peter Brock going back to the, the 1980s so that the attachment to the, the car yeah. is as strong, if not even stronger here. People have got some good stuff tucked away in their garages on the other side of the ditch. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Steve, you and I were, were speaking off air. It's probably a whole other podcast, but it's it's that kind of affection and um, people identifying so strongly with that Ford and Holden thing that's causing supercars such a headache at the moment in terms of yeah. how do you how do you plot a path forward um, wow. and and away from that because it's never going to be that way again. Um, yeah. But as I say, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, but I think I think it, the, the 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 point with with this and I and I've. You know, again, as we're saying off air, I've actually there's a, there's another story coming out about this that I've been working on. Looking, I guess, looking more at those high end HSV stuff because what we're talking about more, I guess, is is your SSVs and your XR8s that are that are yeah. selling for, for big dollars. But um, speaking to some industry, you know, experts in terms of 
you know, price values and things like that, you know, there is a belief that, uh, you know, we're in a perfect storm at the moment, you know, like uh, this was the last of their kind, you know, Holden has now since disappeared. Uh, yep. There's an audience there for them. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's probably a huge portion of the community that yeah grew up loving Brocky and, and Dick Johnson and, right. and, you know, whoever. And, but also, you know, we've been locked in our country. We can't travel. We can't go and spend our money traveling. We can't, you know, so they are, people are, taking their, you know, the, the extra money that they have that they'd already, you know, normally might spend on a holiday and they're going to put it into buying that car that maybe they wanted as a kid. You know, they always wanted that, you know, Falcon or Commodore as a kid. Couldn't afford it, but you know what? Now, now I'm doing it. I'm just going to dive yeah. in. And, and yep. can, I, can I throw a, a, an extension to that? I mean, COVID is, has um, meant that a lot of people have got more, not everybody, but but people have got more in their in their pockets to go and yeah. spend on that stuff when they can't go on yep. their overseas trip or whatever it might be. But there is a bit of a theory too that because we've we've you know been trapped in close confines, um, that for some people sadly has meant challenges around some relationships, and I think there's been breakdowns in that regard. So some people have have emerged from that stuff and gone, I'm going to have a fresh start here. Right, we've, we've split from yeah. that. We've got cash in the pocket, and you know yeah. what? That that Commodore I've always wanted. I'm going to go and get it now. And, and yeah, I think there's yeah. a, I think there's a bit of that happening too. It's true, yeah, you know. And in lockdown, you're spending far too much time with your partner and kids. <laughs> Normally, there's eight hours there where you can take I mean, we a should, break we should, and go off we, to work. We should speak positively <laughs> about that, and hopefully, that is the case for most people. But I, I think that is, um, yeah. you know, in the, in if you did some homework, we were talking about this on uh, another another pod I work on called the Grill the other day, and and I, yep. I think it is a factor. I think it's definitely a factor. Well, I mean, Steve, you called out the the primary example where a pair of HSV GTSR W1 Maloos sold for a combined $2.2 million. And, yep. and that's extraordinary money. And you also make the point in another X number of years, let's call it 15 or 20 years, are they going to be worth more again? Or are the people, are they as in golden and they just become this eternal um, desirable car? Or are the people that want them aging out of the market and and they'll inevitably drop off in price well i think i think this is literally the million dollar question you know yeah. i think again having some conversations that i've had this week i think there's a there's a there's a view that uh what you would call the lower end of the market which are these hundred that let's call them a hundred thousand dollar commodores uh, yep. and falcons um that is probably gonna that is probably gonna die off in the not too distant future, you know, there's, yes. there's, there is supply and demand. There's uh, so it will sort of dictate. There's not that many people willing to spend, you know, nearly a hundred grand on a four or five year old car. You know, because you, you, did, gonna, you yeah. did some digging on our uh, uh, sister entity, Auto Trader, mm. and you found just to go through the stats, there were two hundred ninety SSVs for sale. 14 VFSSV red lines advertised. Now, you make the point you can advertise uh, till the cows come home. It's what someone's yeah. willing to pay for it. Yeah. But they were advertised at more than 80000 with the highest asking for $99,990. So uh, call it bullish or just call it that's where the market's going. That's big money for a car like that. Yeah, that's huge money. But th- so just but just to go back to that, 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 those, those W1... Maloos that sold for for two million. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, basically just over a million a piece. Yes. Um, I think there is a view that those those prices will stay. You know, there's kind of a, I guess, an industry point of view that you know, once you go over a certain amount, you're probably not really coming back. But 
But even then we've seen, you know, I, I think, again, we said off air, you know, you, you made the, a very good point that like we've seen with, you know, arguably the most blue chip Aussie car to invest in, the a phase three uh, Falcon GTHO, they've gone up and down in the last, totally. you know, 10 years. The, the, the GTHO phase three, a couple of decades ago, hit a million dollars. And then went off the top of the roller coaster and went way down and became a lot more affordable. And only more recently, they've started to power up to those those big levels, big money again. It does it does go up and down. Mm. It's not this you know very gradual, predictable um, kind of staircase uh, of of appreciation. Yeah, and the, I guess the question is how? What is the audience? Because I think the audience is really us here in Australia and people sure. in New Zealand, right? Sure. Like it's, and, it's not and, like a, a, a Ferrari or a, or a you know, Lamborghini that has, a, has an international appeal. And I think to the point you made, Greg, um, they're cherished, but I, I imagine um, it puts me in mind of at one point there when Cadillac in the States was really in the doldrums and the product planners were plotting ahead in terms of their target audience and their primary buyers. And they realised that within about a decade and a half, their primary target market would be dead. Mm. Um, and, they, and they had to just reinvent themselves and recruit new buyers but this market whether or not there's the desire for these cars uh when we're down the track a bit when we're all driving electric cars and these you Mm. know dinosaur old v8s whether they'll be whether they'll be looked at by kids and and younger car enthusiasts i think at the very peak of the the spectrum or the end of of what um stephen's been talking about not the 100k sort of level I think you'll find um, that will that those sort of numbers will either either stay, and if they fluctuate, it will only be a small amount because the reality mm. is no more Holden. Yeah, very very limited number of those cars available. Um, there will be an attachment to it. Even I think by okay, we may end up going electric, and that may be what the the bulk of kids think about. But there's still going to be that that group of of passionate types that have looked back on history and they're going to go, man, that's special. Look at that thing. Listen to the yep. sound of that thing. Got to have yep. that. And if they've got the income to do it, um, they'll, they'll try and get it. Is so, it, I, yeah. I don't know about you, Greg, but it, it's something that I come up against a lot. The, the argument that says, oh, young kids now are more attached to their phone or their computer than they are to cars. And part of the response is, have you ever been to the time attack challenge, you know, at mm-hmm. Sydney Motorsport Park? Have you ever been to a race meeting or a, or a cars and coffee or whatever, there are kids everywhere that are every bit as into cars um, as I was uh, at their age. I think there will be an ongoing interest and passion in cars as as whatever happens in terms of alternate propulsion. I think these cars will still hold a fascination. And, and it's just a question of percentages. So you might be talking there about the bulk of the population, the, the, the bulk of kids now, and as they become adults, will certainly think that way, but there'll be, there'll be absolutely a... Um, Maybe not a niche. Maybe it'll be slightly bigger than that. There'll be there'll be a sector that have that passion and and that want and desire and that knowledge. That you know, when you talk to them, when you go to Time Attack and things like that, their, their knowledge around the history, oh, yeah. the technical aspects of it. I mean, they're, they're immersed yeah. in it. They're absolutely immersed in it. So I think that will that will always uh, that sector will always be there. It's just a question of how big it is relative to the the whole population. Yeah, yeah, that's well, a good point. Well, it's, it's funny you guys bring that up, right? The whole time attack culture, which is largely built around, you know, you know the, the Japanese cars, you know, the JDM models that are, yeah. uh, you know, which, which is probably the next trend. You know, it's probably mm. the next, you know, we see now, uh, 
you know, the 90s GTRs now selling for big bucks, the old Supras. Totally. You know, th- those kind of cars are, are, are probably the next, uh, uh, you know, key market because you're probably getting those blokes that are probably around, you know, my age more and are financially more successful than I am <laughs> that can afford to go out and splurge <laughs> on that car that they wanted as a kid, you know. And, yes. like, you know, I think there's, there's a generation certainly – around my kind of vintage uh maybe slightly younger that see you know you know personally i'm not a huge fan of the fast and the furious franchise um right but there are people that for for for, for a generation of kids and car loving kids those are seminal films you know yes. and, and so the cars in those films are, you know well i you know i would love a bullet mustang mm. they want to grow up and get you know fast and furious boys supra or whatever the, the, the thing that gets me though is um I'm a person of a certain age, and uh, unlike you, Steve, as a septuagenarian, I'm not quite there yet, but um, uh, the cars that were in my childhood, utterly ordinary, they were just almost like a disposable (laughs) object, are now just held up as shining jewels, you know, in the used car market. I find it hard to get my head around some of those. So, James and Stephen, for me, where's the next value one that we find? Where's the the one when you look at it and you go, oh, that's undervalued that'll take off or that'll become popular or whatever i mean someone said to me the other day what about rx8s and right. the value of them now relative to other rotaries that have taken off and gone They're crazy gone. in, in, in yeah. price you know so yeah. where, where's the next um one you could dive on get restore that'll become a a thing with people and that and that represents to buy now something you know pretty reasonable value for money I, I tell you what, I have I have a particular car in mind, which mm. I think if I was gonna if I was gonna splurge on a car that I could potentially you know use as a nest egg or or, or hand down to my kids to for them to sell for a million bucks in in twenty years, it would be a first gen Tesla Roadster. Ooh, because really? it's yeah, think about it, right? Wow. Like it's a it's a groundbreaking car, whether you like Tesla or not. And you know, I don't yep. want to I don't want to be attacked by the uh cult of but, um yeah. yeah but um <laughs> you know it was it was a groundbreaking car it was yeah. a car that established a very uh you know established a new brand a new brand that as we've just discussed has a very popular following <laughs> um yeah. and or a very uh diehard following and uh it was built in limited numbers yeah. uh you know, it's you know, there's I, one I've in actually, outer space. Yeah, I've kept yeah. an eye on them, and you know, a couple of years ago, you could get one for you know about ninety nine, and now they're about one hundred and ninety. So they're they're headed up already. You know, <sighs> so for me, it's, it's amazing. Like, I find it a hateful thing. I remember driving oh, it, and and oh. it was awful. Well, that's the. I mean, that's the the bonus of it is I wouldn't really want to drive it. Like it, no, it was okay, it's great. but you it was. I, I didn't hate it, yeah. but you know, like certainly it's. Yeah, for me personally, I would rather have a SSV Redline. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Um, well, that's a good tip then. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that to me, like that seems like, you know, this is the thing. This is this is investing. You know, yeah. there's no story or uh, yeah. for all the reasons you just mentioned. That that's what yeah, will make very it. Good. That's what will make it appealing. And, yeah. and very good. Do we actually need a little footnote there that uh, Stephen is not a financial planner and, uh, you know, <laughs> takes right. advice? None of this uh, is advice. Not, yeah. advice. In fact, <laughs> not just financial things, none of this is advice. Don't take any Although, notice at all. Just to be clear, this is now on record and I'm going to come back and look at this in 20 years <laughs> yeah. when Tesla Roadster is selling That's for like good. $5 million. Well, bucks. Well, so, I actually um, think some of the, uh, for what it's worth, I think some of the, what are currently perceived as the lesser Porsches, um, you know, the front engine rear wheel drives, 944s, um, yeah. even some of the higher end 924s, they're still broadly 
you know, if you want to call it that affordable, but I think over time they're going to uh, rise in value. Just my theory. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I would, I would support that and say sort of the stuff that me is like the, the last naturally aspirated, you know, careers, you know, the nine, yeah. nine, 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 three, nine, 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 three. First no, 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 no. Like, I mean like the, the nine, nine, one. Point one. Oh, last, Okay. You know, but just because you remember the first they did uh, that yeah. first run, yep. they still had the naturally aspirated cars, and then they introduced the turbo the with, with the facelift. Yep. That's a good. So call to me, too. it's like you know those naturally aspirated Porsches, like you know a seven eighteen GT four, or you know they're they're the kind of cars to me that I think people will uh, crave. You know, like a Ferrari four four five eight is probably yes. going to be a highly desirable. Ferrari in in twenty years compared Agreed. to something like a four eight eight because it's naturally aspirated. Naturally aspirated, and the, the sound yeah. of the sound of that engine. I remember the first time driving that car. Uh, it was it was otherworldly, so fabulous. So that's a really yeah. good call too. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's put it right in everybody's ballpark. Thanks. Yeah, Steve. yeah. Where I think is. I think it's uh, yeah. Just really, like, I like to give a lot of grassroots <laughs> advice here. So yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> that's right. But uh, some of the others, just just before we move on, some of the others you you called out. We've got a GTSR just to stick with HSV for a while. Yeah. Um, you had a low kilometer example, like as in 47 kilometers, that's pretty much delivery um, yeah. mileage. 200, not what, let's call it $300,000, $1 under it. And you made the point that even with one with 50K on the clock, that's 240 grand. And you can turn around and buy an M5 BMW competition. Uh, for that money. Yeah. So that's an interesting kind of equation as well. I don't know what your BMW M5 will be worth a few years down the track, uh, but that's a lot of dough. Yeah. And, and that thing that, and this is actually kind of the, 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 you know, like I was saying before, the irony about HSV building the W1, they didn't have to. They, the, the GTSR with just a new bumper bar was, was going to become a collector's item yes. anyway. You know, there's, yes. a, there's a certain uh, collector's appeal, uh, historical significance, to just it being the last HSV Commodore. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, you you also call it like back in 2014, FPV GTF 351. They're now being advertised for around 180 grand, and they sold new for 78. Yeah. Um, that that's pretty spectacular. Back in 2008, um, FPV GTP. That's crept up a bit, but not quite as spectacularly. The original price was 75,990. And what are we looking at now? Just under 90 grand. So that's only a, a fairly gradual kind of creep up. So it's a little bit patchy in terms but, of how people are going at it. But the key thing there is they've gone up. Yes. You know, cars, yes, cars yes. lose value as soon as you drive them off the lot. And these <laughs> yes, cars have got, So I think, you know, honestly, power to them. If these people can, the people selling these cars can yeah. uh, get, these kind of, get these kind of returns on them. Hey, Will you, I job. mean, to that point, you mentioned that even, in, you know, a, 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 an XR8, uh, the last XR8 are holding their original price. So, um, yes, that is that is rare. You're absolutely yeah. right. Honey, trust me, this is going to go up in value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, this is our superannuation. Um, yeah. Yes, you'll love it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a, it's a funny one because I did have a mate who, who was a diehard Holden fan who mm -hmm. always wanted to buy a new Commodore, you know, had had a bunch of Commodores over his life, but they were always you know, used. Yes. Um, and so the SSV, uh, SSV Redline, I think is what he really wanted. Mm. And, you know, he looked at it as 60 grand. Like that's, that's, that's a big, that is a big investment for a lot of sure. people. Yep. Um, you know, in hindsight, he could have driven it for, um, you know, four years 
and got his money got back. his money back you know yeah, like, had free even, transport maybe for even a few turned years. a little bit you know yeah made, yeah a little bit of a profit so you know i if anything you know i think i made the the Joni mitchell reference at the start of the of the story it's sort of you know it's sad that we didn't appreciate what we had until it was gone yeah you know, yeah i think yeah, no, i true. think uh, i think a lot of people unfortunately have realized that you know, Holden Ford, these were great cars. Yes. I don't, I don't think any yes. of us, we've all driven them. They yes. were world-class cars. Driven them, owned them, and and it's yeah. it's dragged right through. Holden particularly because the, the company doesn't exist anymore mm. um, has really got people motivated and older Holdens in good shape are, are drawing enormous uh, used car values as well as and locally made Falcons and, and what have you. Locally made Toyota Camrys, not so much. Um, but no, uh, I didn't look into those to be honest. Yeah. I don't know if they're selling for like you might have to. Like, TD, TDR Orions might be going for 100k. Who knows? Well, hey, who I'll knows? Have to, we'll we'll have, have to. Dive. Yeah, that's another Stay story. Tuned. That's another story. All right, good discussion. Thank you, guys. We'll we'll now move into our garage, and I think Steve, I'd like to just kick off with you in terms of what you've been driving in the last week or so. It's uh, got the capacity for quite a few people. I don't know whether you've been filling it up, but tell us no. about it, please. Uh, I have been rocking the Kia Carnival the last uh, the last week, and family, family man. Yeah, that, that I am, uh, <laughs> man of the people. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm going to tell you, like, because I, I I drove it in part because I'd just driven the Staria, uh, just done the review yep. for, for Cars Guide on the Staria, so you can check that out. Yep. Um, uh, nice know, reference, to, thank you. Yeah. I wanted to sort of uh, get back into it because the Staria, you know, they made a big song and dance about how it was, you know, it's on an SUV platform and how much it's much more like an SUV than a, it's much more of a, like people mover than a commercial van now, but you mm. drive it and it, you know, it's still, it's, not, yeah. it's still a van, right? It's still yes. the size of a van. Whereas, so I wanted to sort of reacquaint myself with the carnival and, and, you know, it is, to be honest, it's it's a fantastic car. I like know. it's a really really good. Like if you've got a family, like I I've said to people, people have asked me in the past, you know, other you know, the, when they find out on the, on the car guy, you know, the school drop offs, whatever, the mums are like, you know, what's a good car? I, I always say, honestly, if you've got more, if you need to transport more than, you know, three kids on a regular basis, get a Carnival mm-hmm. because yes. it's it's got the it's got the people space and it's got the luggage space. And I was, I was lucky enough to have the platinum, so it's fully loaded. But you know, just in general, just the, the space of it is fantastic. Because I've I've often said to my wife, look, the day I suggest that we get a people mover, just slip something in the cornflakes and and get get me out of here because <laughs> life's life's over as we know it. But yeah, the that carnival has turned that on its head because it's yeah. it's much more car like. It's quite appealing to look at. You know, just superficially, it's a terrific design. But also in the way it operates, it's uh, a very composed and, and uh, easy to drive package. Yeah, it's 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 like a you know it, it succeed it's it's done what Hyundai really wanted to do, which is drive more like an SUV uh, or or just a big wagon. Um, and yeah, so I took for me like uh, you know I, I actually think it, honestly it might even be on my lotto list if I won lotto. I honestly, you know, it's it'd be it'd be a hard thing to go past in terms of just just as a, as a load lugger, right? Like just a just that'd a, be a relatively modest lotto win, wouldn't it? End, you're, end, you're talking about winning the, the show now, thing. James. End the show now. There's your headline. There's your headline. If I win lotto, I'm off I'll to buy a carnival. carnival. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll probably buy some other cars. But, there um, may be. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, but you know, just in terms of like uh, you know, the, the, like I said, the platinum, you know, is is fully loaded and, and it. You know, it really is sort of the zenith of uh, Kia's 
Kia has, I think, a remarkable ability to build thoughtful cabins, you know, like mm-hmm. useful, practical, like it's got the storage where you need it. It's got, you know, the, yes. you know, the controls. It's got, you know, like the USB yes. port is next to a spot where you can put your phone and you can cover it up and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you know, USB ports in the back for the kids and all that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah, to me, it sort of like is, is the ideal. Uh, it's just you know, thoughtful. It's just thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and great. Un- unsurprisingly, it outsells every other uh, people mover by like, you know, a factor of a zillion to one. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know enough. it in the detail that, that Stephen does, but a little quick little story for you. Over time with the, the commentators in the supercars coverage and at Channel 10 and so on, we would invariably all end up going somewhere together. Uh, in the early days, always Taragos from higher car companies. But as time went on, it, it often became the carnival. And you can absolutely see the way that it's evolved, improved and so on over the years, Steve, can't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like it was like, like you know, to be to be honest, like most Kias from 10, 15 years ago, you know, in the last two, two or three generations, they have leapt forward. Like they yeah. are they are a completely different car company and it, and it shows on the, you know, shows in the isn't scale. It, isn't it interesting, Greg, you mentioned that uh, the Tarago, when it was retired from the Australian market, there were general news stories on evening bulletins mm. that, that the Tarago had left the market. It's really <laughs> extraordinary. The, the affection people had for that car, it was selling in like handfuls uh, of numbers. It was very unpopular toward the end of its run, but it was a big deal in, in, in its day. We have some wonderful memories that I can't really share on this podcast. A lot, a lot of fun <laughs> along the way. So, uh, but I mean, you know, you can imagine piling Lee Diffie, Daryl Beattie, Neil Strompton, yeah. Matthew White, and all those guys, and the stories that are uh, will remain forever in those carnivals and uh, very good. And, and Taragos is exactly where they should be too. If what only happens, that Tarago could speak. Mm-hmm. Yes, what happens in the Tarago stays in the stays the Tarago. That's right. <laughs> Well, that's good. Now, uh, thank you very much, Steve. Was there anything else you wanted to add on the carnival? No, no, no. there. Very good. Um, Now, Rusty, we'll move to your good self. Um, You've one-upped just about everyone that's uh, certainly in the podcast or listening or watching. You've been driving a certain uh, performance-focused vehicle. Fill us in, please. I'm very uh, fortunate. I spent, um, as we talked about at the top, a few months in Australia at the beginning of the year. So I drove different cars in that time, um, Supra, you name it. But I ended that that period before I came back to New Zealand in a 911 Turbo S and I had the most amazing uh, week in that um, just brought back some great memories I was hoping to put a background up for you today of a, of a day I spent at Winton um, many years ago driving a Carrera Cup car so Unreal. I, I, I play fair I don't have uh, manufacturer alliances with anybody I um, you know often drive different things my, my road car guys at, at home around the, the property is a is a Navara STX um so but but over time i've wanted to restore an older porsche and i've never done that porsche um and my wife actually sarah gave me the green light many years ago before they went crazy in price and terry tight rusty uh balked and didn't do it and they're now like tripled in price i see i see big mistake big mistake right that would have been a nice nice resto project now that i'm in my early 50s So what just in the name of, of science and, and uh, satisfying yourself, did you yes. experiment with the launch control on the uh, on the Turbo S? I, I may have done, yes. Right. So yes. Um, and uh, I was told that it would um, be the most mind-blowing sensation. I 
uh, may not or may or may not have been um, direct messaged by a certain ex Formula One driver that does some things uh, around the Porsche <laughs> landscape and thoroughly recommended yeah, to good. try that. Thoroughly recommended to try that. So uh, advice was heeded. Yes, amazing, you know, that, amazing that's, car. That's really interesting. At the launch, uh, I want to say uh, it was nine nine two turbo. Help me out, Steve. When the GT three engine uh, drama happened with Porsche nine eleven. Do you recall what generation that was? Because that's that's when it was. Anyway, yeah, no. we, we were at Phillip Island and um, fanging around the circuit in these uh, 911s and uh, turbos and turbo S's. And yes, Mark Webber turned up and he started to do some taxi drives for journos that were there. And over time, I've gone around Phillip Island a lot. You tend to know the layout and you think you can get around there okay. And as we're firing down pit lane, he says, oh, I haven't been here since I was driving Formula Ford. And absolutely lit the place up. Like awesome. his, it was pretty much his first hot lap. And it was like the difference between mortal people and, <laughs> yes. and people like it was fan yeah. flame yeah. fantastic. He yeah. was really putting that car on the edge of its performance envelope straight away. They are great days, those in reminding you uh, how far away you are oh, from the pros. Totally. That you have, you know, miles yep. to learn. I find them, I find them mentally exhausting. They can be physical, but I find them mentally exhausting days too, because you yes. absorb so much, you take in so much from those guys. And even if there's one little nugget on the day that you improve on, Couldn't that's, agree a, that's a win. That's a win. Totally, totally, mm-hmm. totally. I always love those days when they have when they have like a lead car. Certain brands like to have a lead car with an instructor on the radio talking to you, and and they always say, "Oh, look, you know, you, if you if, you know you keep with us, we'll go a bit faster. You catch up, we'll go a bit faster." And you know, I sort of think you think to yourself, "Oh, I'm going all right here. I'll keep it up. We're going a bit quick." And then you realise, <laughs> "Oh, they're doing it one handed." Yeah, <laughs> that's radio. right. And you're talking to you on the radio. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, me, oh, give me so much more to learn. <laughs> give me 150 laps with that person in the passenger seat coaching me along the way, and I might get within cooey of what they're doing. But yeah. they just get in the car. That's the difference between a pro and a, and a warrior is yeah. they just get in and go fast yeah. immediately. It's amazing. But yeah, just, fantastic. Just, just back to Rusty's, uh, you know, working class 911 Turbo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, many, uh, how many seats did that have, huh? What do you only, mean? Two, only two and a half. Not that <laughs> yes. eight. Like, um, <laughs> That's right. You, you win play, that. It's a slam on the, on the seat a, count. You'll be laughing with their lotto winnings, huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> I'd like both of those, actually. So, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, Stephen turns up to the next Cars Guy episode uh, of our podcast, and uh, there he is rocking up in a brand-new Ferrari or Porsche. Did he win the lotto after all? Yeah, mate? that's <laughs> right. That's when, that's when push comes to shove. Um, all right, I'll wrap things up because I've been in uh, a Hyundai Tucson. And it's the diesel all-wheel drive Elite, about 45K. So it's a five-seat SUV, two-litre turbo diesel, four-cylinder, eight-speed auto, and all-wheel drive, but on demand. So uh, it, it defaults to, um, I want to say, it'll be front-wheel drive, and then we'll go to all-wheel drive. 137 kilowatts. About 4,000 RPM, so reasonably steep. 416 newton meters, which is pretty handy for a, a car that weighs about one and a half or oh, 1.67 tons. Um, and nice and low, 2,000 RPM is where that peak starts to arrive. It's not exactly huge. It's a it's a mid-size, 4.6 meters long. Um, and on the plus side, it gets up and goes. That engine, um, which is used in various uh, Hyundai and Kia products really gets up and go and the tow weight for a relatively modest suv is 1.9 tons which is pretty handy and it has standard trailer stability control 
So, and good steering feel, um, lots of space for the footprint that it actually occupies and lots of practicality built in and a big boot. We got lots yeah. of luggage and a big bulky pram in there all at one go good, with, good with a little, little bit ticks. of room, room to oh. spare. Um, and this car at 40, what did I say, 45K, it's pretty loaded up. You've got leather appointed seats, dual zone climate control, all, all I could go on. And you get a full-size alloy spare, which I always love. You know, you get the full-size spare. The minuses, there aren't many. Um, at that money, I would have liked to have seen an auto tailgate, but, hey, who can't open their own tailgate? It's just one of those nice-to-have things. Um, a little bit noisy, but not chronically so uh, for, for a turbo diesel. The angular styling, I think people will either see it as a bit fussy or cool. It might be somewhat polarising, but I, I yeah. quite like it for what mm. it's worth. Um, the push-button transmission controls on the console, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I'd prefer a more conventional shifter, particularly when you're in three-point turn-type situations and you want to swap between the, the gears quickly. And the big, big media screen looks really cool, but there's no physical uh, volume knob for the, the radio, which I always like because, yes, there's a little up-and-down switch on the wheel, but if you want to adjust the volume quickly, there's nothing quite like being able to just go over and kind of turn it down with the dial. So just nitpicking, really. I thought it was a, um, a really good drive, and I, I enjoyed driving it for the week for sure. Oh, I think they've positioned themselves for the younger people we were talking about in this podcast, James. Probably. You, you yeah, and probably. I and uh, even Stephen want that that uh, that volume control, but kids, you know, that, that's all, it's all about that. all got to uh, be, yeah, exactly. slick and haptic and like yeah. the smartphone, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, the interesting point you make about the styling. I think uh, Hyundai in general, you know, they've really sort of, uh, push the boat out, you know, in, in, in this sort of latest generation of cars. Um, mm. Mm. And it, it kind of, to me, it's like, it's, it's, I think someone, someone else said it to me is it, it, it does straddle the line between uh, nice design and like over the top. Like it's sort of, yep. to me, it's sort of right on that knife's edge yep. of, of whether or not it's, it's a good looking car or it's a, it's just a. Over, Do you know the other interesting design. point I was talking to a, a designer who said that Hyundai's direction when you have those large surfaces that are at different angles, say along the side of the car, and they intersect, you know, door shut lines and what have you go through them, it's very hard to get high quality with that kind of shape. Um, so it's a conscious decision that says this is going to be difficult to achieve, but yeah. we're going to do it anyway, even in a mainstream kind of mass model, um, which yeah. is, you know, hats off for that. Yeah, I mean, think again, like, like I said about Kia, think about, you know, the Tucson two, two, three generations ago, you know, it was a, it was not a particularly desirable car. And now it's a, it's a really, you know, like it's certainly a more premium look, whether you, mm. yeah, it is probably more polarizing, but it's certainly, yeah, like you say, it's a more complicated, you know, those, all those, yeah, crease lines and, and style lines. It's difficult to execute. Yeah. Um, like it, know, it well. says, this is a, this is a more, this is a high quality vehicle that we've mm. built. You know, we, mm. you know, we haven't just done, we haven't taken the easy option here. Interesting so, arm wrestle there too, in that Kia is a hair's breadth away from uh, stepping ahead of Hyundai in sales month to month. Yeah. So uh, that's been a long time coming, but it's getting to a very interesting point. Mm. Um, all right. Now, thank you for that, guys. We'll move on to feedback from last week. And last week we were talking about the next-gen Ranger. Ford has been strategically uh, teasing images of its uh, next-gen Ranger, which is going to be uh, released before the end of this year, but arrive in our market next year and obviously it's a it's a huge deal because it's one of the top selling vehicles in a in an arm wrestle with uh, Hilux um, and others but uh, places to see 
came back at us and said the new Ranger hopefully will have the V6 diesel option available in the cheaper models, not just the top of the line. And I think the bad news there, places to see, is that uh, our mail is it's not so much. It's going to be the two-litre uh, turbo diesel that we now have will be in the base cars and the V6s will be in the higher ones. Is that your understanding too, Steve? Yeah, I, know, I mean, I think that's sort of the logical take on it. Yeah. Um, Although, I mean, I guess Volkswagen, because obviously this is going to be paired with the Volkswagen Amarok. Amarok Volkswagen yeah. do have that Amarok core V6. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's, there's... there's Maybe there's know, a bit of cross-shopping to be had there. Yeah, I mean, potentially, you know... configuration you want. Yeah, I mean, does... does you know, I don't know what the... Obviously, the details of their partnership are. Is there an opportunity for Ford to try and, try and match that with a, you know, a, a, a relatively a modestly equipped uh, yeah. V6 model, you know? Yeah, and maybe, maybe but, as time goes by, pep it up with something yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I would think, though, the, the logic kind of suggests that, you know, like, like you say, it's going to be sort of four-cylinder for the entry-grade cars and, and yes. six for the, for the higher spec. Yes. Um, now, outlandish rig says, forget the vehicles head-to-head. Now, by that, I'm sure he means Ranger and, and Hilux. Ford customer service will take a long time to shake its past and present. Ranger is the only vehicle keeping it from rolling off the cliff in Australia. Um, to that, I'd say that Ford in September uh, ascended to third place in sales in terms of brands in the Aussie market. So it's now ahead of Hyundai. Um, it, it, no, no doubt that Mustang and Ranger were marquee models uh, for Ford in Australia, but they're seemingly substantiating that a little bit. They're selling more Rangers than, than ever before. But um, yeah, a service... They put in a, a loan car program. They've been very big on trying to capture some ground back on, on all of that. But I suppose it's a fair point. Yeah, I don't well, know. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't own one, boys, but but the, um, you know, when you deal with them invariably, you know, you know picking up a car or whatever, I mean, it's, it always seems to be um, something that that um, is very smooth from that side. So, okay. um, I mean, but, uh, you know, um, customer service versus some of the model sales that you're talking about, I guess, are two different subjects, aren't they? Yes. I mean, there's, there's no better way to retain a customer mm-hmm. than to have a good relationship ongoing. And yeah. all of the emphasis on, on getting the car off the showroom floor and into someone's hands, but then once they own it, your opportunity is to, to, to you know, win their loyalty. Um, yeah, well, well, like sort of the, the salesman sells you the first one. Yes. The service department is going to see the second or the third. Exactly. exactly. Like exactly. So I, I have a bit of experience here because I personally don't own a Ford, but my mother owns a, a Focus. All right. Um, and I was, it's, it's actually been interesting watching her because her, her experience with it. Um, because, yeah, I was part of that. Uh, you know, I remember Ford put on a big, big show for us when they uh, made it. They wanted to make an effort about service. You know, yeah. I think right. the previous management, they you know, they started this big push of, free loan cars and, yep. you know, all that extra sort of going the extra mile. Marketing it, just, it on, on mass media as well. This is yeah, a big deal. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly I think her, it, t- it took a while for that to trickle down. You know, there were some yes. issues, you know, I remember, you know, when she got her serviced, I said, oh, and they gave you the loan car? And she said, no, no. Ooh, I was like, well, okay. but, you know, you should have that. And it's like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of it's, you know, she didn't know to ask, you know, but they really, if that's right. going to be their thing, they should be offering it, right? It should be a... Hmm. Have you ever in. thought to mic her up before she goes in for a service and actually well, get the interaction on tape? Well, unfortunately, now they know I'm her son. And so <laughs> oh, no. It has been. Oh, has no. Been oh, no. But, um, okay. No, nah, look, you know, uh, 
I, I think there's been an improvement. I think the key there is I think that Ford has acknowledged it was a problem in the past and are trying to fix it. You know, and I think that's really, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I'm giving one specific example. Who knows? Yeah. You know, there might be the fact that they're selling a lot of ranges and, and, they're, and they're selling a lot of, you know, some other models suggest yeah. that maybe they are doing a better job of yeah. um, keeping people happy. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it's certainly it's 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 not the work of a moment but they have been at it now a couple of years or several years ago when they did that big yep. big and takes a while for something like yeah. that to wash through you know for yeah. perceptions to dissipate and for experiences better experiences to happen and change the whole thing it does take time good yeah. feedback Stephen. good feedback yeah. real world now, now deatomizer um to quote says hilux is so overrated uncomfortable plastic interior inflated sticker price uh, made him buy an Everest. Uh, so Deatomizer bought an Everest. Four years and 130,000 kilometres later, it's as solid and dependable as ever. Um, he was behind a newer Prado and, quote, unquote, nearly choked to death from the white smoke pouring out of its exhaust. Um, so glad with his purchase decision. And there was then a comments cage fight in response uh, to that, <laughs> where the likes of... Jay Gus and Miguel Duterte and Deatomizer got back in there and it was all about retained value of um, an Everest. And I think um, it was Miguel called it a second-gen territory and no one would want to buy it. And it all it all boiled down to Deatomizer saying on, it's, all like, it's all academic because I'm going to hang on to it more or less forever anyway, so who cares? But um, uh, he's very much against the Hilux and into the Ford product. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think... I. I actually, it's interesting. I actually drove a before the carnival. I had a, I had a Hilux, uh, and it was a good opportunity to remind myself. It's, it's actually quite an, you know, bizarrely for Australia's best-selling vehicle. I think it is in some ways underrated. You okay. Know, I think we, okay. we generally think of, you know, the Amarok has probably the best ride and handling package of a Ute in terms of it's the nicest to drive mm. uh, with the with the Ranger not far behind that. But to be honest, I don't think the Hilux. Is is a million miles away. I think it actually drives quite nicely for what it is. Uh, you know, it, it's it's still a Ute. It's still it's still supposed to have a lot of capability. So you're going to get a little bit of a jittery ride at times when you're unladen. But you know, I think this. I think it steers nice. I think that that two point eight. Um, you know, I had the Rogue, so it had that uh, it had different rear suspension. But uh, hmm. and, but they've introduced that more powerful motor across the lineup. So it's got 500 newton meters. It's 150 kilowatts, 500 That's plenty. That's it plenty. Goes all, like it goes all right. It, like you're not expecting a sports car, you know, like. And Greg, in, in, in making your Navara, it was Navara, wasn't it? In making yes. your Navara decision, did you uh, experience the Hilux? This is actually a really timely conversation because the Navara has been for, um, you know, around the property, but also for, you know, teenage kids, school runs. It's done the, the works, but it's at the point now where I, and contemplating um, what to do next. Mm. And, and I still want that dual cab four-wheel drive. The obsession that we have with them in this space is, uh, is incredible. Um, to be fair, you do live on a farm, though. So yeah, but not, not really. I mean, I'm not, I am not. Uh, we need to highlight, underscore, not a farmer. Um, but it is, it is hugely handy for, for stuff like that around the place. But the kids still want to get in something that's comfortable, that rides nice with connectivity, um, all of that stuff. Um, you know, they look at Amarok, they look at, at Ranger, um, and there's a bit of there's a bit of want there. So I mean, I've had I've had a good experience with um, with that Navara, and and it's still I've got a bit of a soft spot for it still. Yeah. Oh, good, 
Good, very good. I mean, I mean, there are plenty of people um, in exactly the same boat um, that are Navara devotees, mm. uh, for sure. Now, Grudland74, a regular correspondent, we touched on electric utes uh, last week, and he said, I'd love to hear Crafty's opinion on Rivian. Now, obviously, Rivian's created a lot of buzz about uh, electric utes and SUV. Um, so I got in touch with Crafty. It's hard. You have to go through his management. and, uh, and but eventually... <laughs> I thought I thought he was only contactable by carrier pigeon too. That's right. Force <laughs> code. Anyway, by whatever means, we managed to converse yesterday. And to paraphrase what he said to me, he said, look, as always, he'll reserve judgment until he actually drives it. But on paper, it seems to tick uh, pretty much all the boxes. You know, range is about 600 kilometres, tows four and a half tonnes. Good ground clearance, but as with any newcomer, it's when you hit the sand and the corrugations that things get interesting. So he's looking forward to steering one, and uh, hopefully that that answers your initial uh, thought anyway, Grudlin. Oh, but, yeah, sorry, mate. Sorry, yeah, what I would add, because I was, I, was, I was lucky enough to uh, see the Rivian at, uh, I guess it was New York Motor Show. Well, it had to be a couple of years ago. 20, I want to say 2019. Okay. Um, before the dark times. Um, yeah, yeah. And, but man, and I was speaking to their then chief engineer and he sort of was able to give us a bit of a look around it. I think one of the key thing to remember with the Rivian is it's a premium ute. It's, yes. it's like the, the interior fit and finish. Uh, it's, it's very much, uh, it's, you know, it's not really the kind of, uh, you, you, you know. Would you call it a luxury ute? Yeah, I mean, it really is kind of a luxury ute, right? Like it, okay. it's certainly, it's okay. certainly going to compete with more of the, you know, Hilux Rogue and um, no, that's good. even, that's good even sort of yeah. your, um, even I guess your, your Ram 1500s and Chevy Silverados and things like that in terms of right. not quite that big, but uh, just in terms of its its design and its fit and finish and those kind and of probably things. probably price positioning. And, and, def- and that's the thing people are going to remember. The price is going to be up there. It's not going to yeah. be, a, it's not yeah. going to be, you know, 2990. 45 grand. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, four by two. But I mean, it does seem, <laughs> it does seem incredibly cable. I actually, because I recently watched uh the you, you know you and mcgregor charlie borman special where they oh, rode yes. electric motorbikes from the tip of argentina all the way up to to america okay. and they had rivian support vehicles which at the time oh. were prototypes and they i mean they they beat them up you know like they they were these were like literally ha- the first hand-built built ones wow and they and they dragged them all the way through south america and um you know so they've certainly they ha- they've, they've certainly made it off-road capable you know, it's okay. not a, it's not a, when I say it's a luxury ute, it's not a, it's not a pretty like drive. Well, like, look, there's, there's South roads. America end to end and then there's crafty. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> just, just yeah. stand by, stand yeah. by. Um, all right. Now, then we got two other really interesting ones. Samuel Baker came at us and said another great episode. So thank you, Samuel. Um, he needs to settle an argument. He has a 1998 Mazda BJ323 Astina, 200,000 kilometres on the clock, not immaculate, but outside it's clean, few shopping trolley dents, nothing that can't be buffed or touched up. The interior is excellent, no stains, fading or cracks. Everything works. The Mazda's avoided the child interior decimation because they bought another bigger car. So a mate of his told his 11-year-old son that Samuel's Mazda was a quote-unquote old bomb. He says he can't accept this. A bomb blows smoke, Uncle Buck style, and unlocks with any key or starts with a screwdriver, has torn seats, et cetera, et cetera. Is my Mazda 323 a bomb? Um, it, what version is it? Is it the SP? Is, it the, is that the question we need to ask? No. Well, he said it's a, just a 
just a 323 Astina. So I don't think okay. we're talking about a, an SP or a performance variant here. It's the cooking version. Mm. Cooking version I struggle with. I SP mean, if it's, would be if it's if it's if it's well maintained. I think the key to a bomb mm. is really the maintenance, right? Uh, yes. You know, does it? You know, does it have an odor coming from the boot? You know, like is it? Like is it yes. full of? Uh, well, I mean, one person's perception of a bomb could be that anything that's not new, you know, anything that doesn't have the latest safety tech or doesn't have the latest load of equipment a, and and all of that, everything else is a bomb. I think that's a bit, I mean, that's a bit, that's a bit snooty. I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of the person that has denigrated Samuel's car. Yeah, I'll just let's stay out of those shoes. I, I think that doesn't sound like a bomb. Sounds like it's been well Sounds like after. it's a decent car. You know, like it was, yeah. I think, yeah, it's got to be blowing smoke. It's got to be full of like Macca's wrappers. It's got to have, it's got to have a mismatched panel probably. Like Stereo you know, doesn't work. Yeah, a hubcap like, missing, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like a... A coat hanger for the antenna, like that sort yep. of stuff. That's a bomb. You know? Good. Like okay, so Samuel, clean, well maintained. Suffice to say, we're on your side. You're not stand driving your, a stand bomb. up your three two three, Samuel. Correct. Be, now, nice, la- be nice to Samuel too on, on socials too on <laughs> on our feedback. <laughs> be nice. nice. <laughs> now, lastly, last correspondent uh, that we're going to deal with today, with the popularity. Uh, now it's Paul Victor, and I think he's raised an, an interesting point. With the popularity of plug-in hybrids increasing, especially in SUVs and proper four-wheel drive vehicles uh, uh, to come increasingly as well, I'd say, how are you going to see the true hours a car runs? Let's say Prado comes out uh, sometime in the future with a hybrid diesel where you have a range of 100 kilometres electric only. That'd be excellent for city driving and using the engine electric combo only on highways or beach or outback. How do you measure the hours the diesel engine has actually run? I can see maybe a future where you have an hour meter for the engine like tractors um, on the, and the normal odometer for overall kilometres. It will make secondhand car market interesting. I, I, something that hadn't occurred to me at all, that the, the engine will have potentially fewer hours on it than the car has kilometres under the, under the treads. Rusty. You could you could think of this like um, uh, you know uh, helicopters or something like that where you, you look at you know hours on the, on the motor. Can I also say I reckon this is going to be uh, driven, pardon the pun, by kids because yeah. my kids will only do two-hour trips. I used to go with my mum and dad when I was ah. a little tacker. I would go mm-hmm. Sydney to Gold mm-hmm. Coast. We'd do the massive road trip. Uh-uh. Yeah. My yes. two, I reckon, uh, the two hours tops, they're done. Yes, yep. yes. My, my wife uh, recounts going on a trip from Sydney to Brisbane in the back of her dad's Valiant Safari and her position was to lie on the back of the load you know, in the boot, basically, that's where she'd lie. So we're talking mm. pre-seatbelts. And they had a tail, no tail accident. She was showered with glass, just lying there. Like, and, the, and the glass just, anyway, that's another story. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point, but I guess we just have to, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess we've already started to see this kind of thing with, with, hybrids uh, as they are you know they, they they are taking a little bit of you know you're taking if you take 10 minutes a day out of your engine it is what it is but you know i'm sure car makers will come up with a you know there's ways to look after engines and know you know roughly where they're at in terms of their life cycle yes um, i suppose if you're a cynic you'd say an engineer is also very good at engineering to a price and if they know that this engine's only going to be used for a certain percentage of the time maybe it'll be constructed differently Potentially. Anyway, that would be a conversation, though, when, when it comes to buying it. How many hours is it done? That's uh, it. Yeah. What are the hours? Yeah. What are the hours? Yes. Maybe, exactly. I mean, with modern cars, they'd probably just add in a, a, an hours meter. Like you said, you know, you could 
just yep. part of the trip computer, you know, like overall. How many hours on know, the engine? It, mm. You know, it's driven, it's driven 10,000 kilometres, but it's only done, you know, it did no, it did no doubt be in there, and all you'd need is an FBI agent to, you know, take it out and extract the information. The data would be there. Well, yeah, because um, Subaru does it. The Subaru has a. Um, yeah. Well, they had a. They well, there's something similar. They had a clock on stop start on their early models. I remember the early models. You'd stop. It had stop, and that that little counter had come up on the dash saying, you know, you've been stopped. No, it, it, they still do. I was in an yeah. outback just recently, and so right. it'll tell you how long you've had the engine stopped while you're stationary and how many milliliters of fuel you haven't yeah. used because you've been stopped. So I'm sure that data is buried in there and it just needs to just be, pre- maybe just needs to be presented. Great. You know? All right. Well, there it is. We've solved that problem already, Paul Victor. Um, and with that, we have reached the finish line. So I want to say thank you for joining Rusty and thank you, Steve. And thanks to our robot whisperer, happiness advocate, and paranoid in chief, Mr. Pritchard, for his otherworldly production skills. Um, Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, real men smell like diesel, Uh, (laughs) floral trousers, and elf shoes. It's an incredible combination, as usual. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram, or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five is the preferred number of stars. Thank you. Um, If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, like I know, love tractors. Speaking of this, Rusty, he was a farmer, so he had several, uh, but he also had tractor models, tractor books, tractor wallpaper. He wore tractor pyjamas to bed. Um, And his wife didn't have a problem with it. She loved tractors too. But in a sad, incredibly ironic twist, she was killed by a tractor falling off the back of a transport in the town near where they lived. From that instant, he couldn't stand tractors, sold the farm with the tractors, all the paraphernalia, moved to the big city and started a new life. Time passed and although his departed wife still occupied a special place in his heart, he eventually got back out there was on his first date. Uh, It was dinner in a small cafe, good wine, great food, but it was very smoky. Uh, Turns out his date was asthmatic and becoming increasingly distressed. So my mate started just drawing in the smoke, inhaling it in big breaths until the room was clear and he moved outside to kind of let it all go. When he came back inside, his date asked, that was amazing. How on earth did you do that? To which he said, it's no problem. I'm an extractor fan. <laughs> We've covered some ground in this podcast today from Stephen oh, spending gosh. lotto money on a Kia Carnival to our meters on electric cars. My first car that I got a license on was a baby shit brown VC Commodore. And based on what Stephen talked about at the commencement of the podcast, that will not be one that's gone up in value. We don't have that anymore. It's gone. <laughs> All right. Oh, dear. Good on you. Thank oh, you, guys. Oh, man. Thank you. Oh, man.